So we finished the last episode sort of on the brink of destruction, if you want to call that. <laughs> exactly. call it that. Yeah. You know, at this time, they're underneath the Articles of Confederation, and it's a mess for 11 years since the Declaration uh, of Independence had been declared. It's been a mess. They've signed it, and now they won the war. That's a good thing. Yes. But the states are in fighting and all of this. But if you read the fifth principle in the Declaration, it says this. It says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, uh, meaning these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. They did that. Yes. They, they won revolution. And then it says, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So you stick yourselves in, in, in their shoes, and here we are 11 years later, it's chaos, it's not working at all, and yet we know that we have given our sacred honor, our word. Yes, We're going to establish a new government, and, and we're going to lay its foundation on the principles of, of liberty and, and these principles that we've laid forth. It seems like an a, a insurmountable task, and yet one of supreme importance. Well, and they went to the uh, convention not to come up with a new constitution. That wasn't even on their minds. The uh, Virginia delegation showed up with a constitution. They were there to refine the Articles of Confederation to try to maintain peace and unity. But once they started to look at this constitution, all of that went out the window. And they really sat there, and over the summer months, in the hot months in Philadelphia, they crafted a constitution that became the founding document for our nation. Welcome to the Legacy Project Podcast, a conversation that utilizes early American history as a way to explore and sustain our legacy of liberty. This series is intended to be enjoyed sequentially. Follow along with us as we discuss the foundational ideas of America that transformed the course of history and left each of us a legacy of liberty. Hi, this is Philip, and welcome back to The Legacy Project, Episode 6. Today we're going to be talking about ordering liberty. Earlier on in our episodes, we talked about the discovering of liberty, we talked about the defining of liberty, we talked about acquiring liberty, and now we're going to be talking about ordering liberty, how the, the founders brought order to this concept of liberty within the society that we know today as the United States of America. And so Stan, you gave some some really just intriguing details about the convention out of which came the Constitution of the United States of America, with the Virginians coming and them coming to talk about the the current situation and then a whole different outcome that they were expecting. Can you give us a little bit more background and a little bit more introduction to what was going on at the time, the convention, and then what came out of that? Yes. The convention wasn't intended to be a constitutional convention. The idea of a constitution really wasn't part of why they came. So they, the Virginians, as you said, and I said, they, uh, they brought in this idea, this paperwork that showed how a constitution could be formed that would then fulfill the principles of the Declaration. And they threw out the refinement of the articles and said, well, let's go there. And so they locked all the windows at the um, Independence Hall in Philadelphia, and they sweltered through a very hot summer, and they came up with some ideas that they put to paper. A lot of rancor, a lot of debate, a lot of disagreement, 
but they put this down and they uh, came up with these compromises as well as a structure and a form that uh, they thought would be something that they should send to the states to see if they could get it ratified. I have a soundtrack that I'd like uh, you to listen to that will kind of give you the context of that history. So when they got there, they put together this document that was unique in how people would govern their society, mostly because of the Declaration's principles that flipped everything upside down. And how was this then going to be put in place? So take a listen. The American Form of Government Ordering Liberty The Constitution We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. This preamble to the Constitution lays out the purpose of the document. It lists the overall objectives and then lumps them together as the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. As we discussed in our study of the Declaration of Independence, the creator-endowed right of liberty was a foundational principle held by the founders, so its reference here is a consistent carryover of the ideals articulated in the Declaration. As depicted in the introduction video, it was becoming more and more apparent to most Americans that the Articles of Confederation would not be able to overcome the mounting issues growing between the states. Each state had their own armies. They had different currencies, different import duties, different relations with foreign powers, and a whole array of differing laws, policies, and rules that became impediments to commerce and peaceful relations. Finally, in 1787, 11 years after the signing of the Declaration, a group of delegates attending the Continental Congress in Philadelphia proposed an entirely new framework for the national government. They called it federalism, and it would be laid out in a document called the Constitution of the United States. There was fierce opposition to this new and powerful federal government since the nation had fought a bloody and expensive war to rid itself of an overbearing king. But the more it was debated, refined and considered, the ideas of James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and others began to take hold. A major attraction to these ideas was the separation of powers embedded in the Constitution. Three separate branches of the federal government would compete for diluted power among themselves and also the states, creating built-in oversight of each other. In addition, federal powers would be specifically listed or enumerated to constrain overreaching and domination by any of the branches. But even James Madison, the primary author of the Constitution, declared his concern when he said, In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. James Madison and the others understood that the Constitution was written primarily to govern the government, not the people or the states. The founders also understood that self-government required citizens to personally dedicate themselves to the concept of liberty, individual freedom restrained by self-control that is grounded upon principles. Without this personal commitment to liberty, they knew the alternative would be a return to tyranny. The Bill of Rights In the end, the battle for ratification came down to the inclusion of a Bill of Rights in the Constitution. The organizational structure, limitations on authority, amendment processes, and other elements of the Constitution seemed workable. But the skeptics could not accept the document without a direct connection to the principle in the Declaration that stated the purpose of the government 
is to secure the rights of the people. A Bill of Rights that specifically addressed the rights of the citizens while limiting the powers of the new federal government. It is accurate to say that these amendments are about rights, but it would have been better to label them the Bill of Government Limitations. The Bill of Rights did not grant rights at all. Its sole purpose was to safeguard God-given rights by limiting government power. The Founders clearly stated that Congress shall make no laws about speech, religion, the press, assembly, the right to petition, the right to keep and bear arms, and so on. And if there were any doubts, the Tenth Amendment says in effect, if we forgot anything, the federal government can't do that either. These amendments directly applied to the federal government, not the individual, and not the states. The whole idea was to keep the central government limited to its proper role of securing the rights of the people by staying out of the way, except to defend the country, facilitate commerce, and help administer justice. This new American perspective identified the purpose of government to be a protecting force that defends the people from attack by other nations and unscrupulous behavior by other citizens. It was not intended to be a providing force that replicated the monarchy, giving people rights and privileges by favoring one citizen over another. The founders understood that a government that gives to one must also take from another, controlling both in the process. They believe that those who receive from government become dependents, while those the government takes from become slaves. The erosion of liberty needed a firm barrier against tyranny, and the Constitution, combined with the Bill of Rights, appeared to be the best way to organize the government to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Finally, on October 17, 1787, the United States Constitution was ratified by the states because of the promise to add the Bill of Rights during the first session of the new Congress. It is important to note that the Constitution was not forced upon the people. It went through a lengthy process in each of the states and was ultimately ratified by all of the states. And what became of the promise to add the Bill of Rights? Surprisingly, it was fulfilled. Once the first Congress convened and George Washington was elected president, the Bill of Rights was adopted and the United States has since become the longest existing nation under one system of government in the history of the world. Well, there's another narrative that gives you a lot of information. Like a fire hose. Yeah, it's uh, a lot happened and we're just trying to make sure that it's uh, concise enough that it's not uh, distracting to a lot of other things, but it is a lot of information to digest. Let's start with the reading of the preamble, Philip. I think uh, we can start looking at the Constitution now uh, with understanding where it came from. So we'll read the preamble here. It's, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. And most people, again, are familiar with this language. Just like they were in the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self-evident. They start this whole thing with a we. Now, we talked about in the Declaration, the we they were considering was a universal we. We see this as a new set of truths that are going to apply to all humanity. This is a very narrow we, we the people of the United States. So this isn't for the universal consumption. This is for the people of the United States. So these guys are focused on the task at hand, which is to create a constitution. 
and, and it's unique that we the people are declaring a constitution for governing ourselves. Yes. Is, was it common to have that sort of a thing where, where a people would write a constitution? Had that ever happened before in all of history in this way? To write down a constitution that would govern the well, people. Yeah, most nations would say they had a constitution. Great Britain's a classic example. But it wasn't a written constitution. So it was just what we were supposed to do as the parliament and the king and the lords and the dukes and the earls. So it was kind of a loose structure. But the founders were frustrated because they were saying there was a violation of the Constitution because we have no representation. And the representation idea came from a written document in the 1200s, which was the Magna Carta, which forced the king, in order to stay king, he had to sign a document that said he was going to share power and was going to create a parliament. So that was the most advanced form of government, and that was really the only written document now we're going to write down a document starting with we the people, for the people. That's pretty unique. Yes, so it's very unique, and it was very demanded that we have something that we can rely on in order to then hold people accountable. The next part of this is in order to form a more perfect union. Now, a more perfect is not perfect. This is an aspiration, just as the Declaration, most of those principles are aspirational. They're not, you're not going to be virtuous. You're going to aspire to be virtuous. You're not going to be, uh, you know, fulfilling the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are ideals. They're something that you can aspire to. So we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide the common defense, promote the general welfare, and they've lumped all of that together and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Now, securing the blessings of liberty, that's an interesting turn of event or turn of words. Because if you are securing the blessings of liberty, first of all, what does that mean to secure it? And then what are the blessings of liberty that you are securing? Go back to the Declaration. So it says in Declaration, and, and we talked about this truth number four, it says that to secure these rights, which is interesting because it doesn't say to give these rights. They've already said these are rights given by the Creator. Yes. But to secure these rights, meaning to, to protect them, uh, governments are instituted among men. Yes. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Yes. So the blessings of liberty, in my opinion, are the principles... All men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So those are the rights or the blessings of liberty that is being secured by this new form of government called the American U.S. Constitution. It almost seems like they read the Declaration of Independence when they were crafting this. Or certainly at least, I mean, you have some of the same men, not, not many of them, but some of them looking back at that for sure, yes, and, and seeing those principles. Well, and the people in the Declaration writing, uh, the people who did the writing of the Declaration, weren't all at this meeting, but everybody that was at this meeting was part of the Revolutionary War and part of the leadership that was fighting the war in order to fulfill the ideas of the Declaration of Independence. So everybody was fully familiar with it. Had to be reminded, though, that we need to go back to that and that's why that declaration 
truth number five that you read earlier is so important because that's what pulled them back to the form of a constitution as opposed to a refinement of the Articles of Confederation. So they're recognizing the ideals, the principles they set forth in the Declaration, Mm -hmm. and now they're ordering these so that they'll be secured for themselves and for their posterity, meaning future generations. Correct. Yeah. So again, it's forward-looking. Most organizing of government is present-looking. The only forward is how long is the king going to live? This is not for the king. This is not for the rulers. This is for ourselves as the citizens and our posterity, future generations. So again, very unique in the process of thinking in comparison to how you would think people would uh, understand their role within a ruler-subject society. So the narrative talked about this idea of federalism, which is what the Constitution is based upon. Can you explain a bit more about federalism and how it works and and why they proposed it for the Constitution of the United States of America? Well, it's a whole new framework. Um, And so they wanted to bring in some way to govern the government, not the government governing the people. So they labeled it federalism because they felt like it was essential to have some authority that was going to be able to kind of oversee the unity and the unifying factors that were necessary for the United States to survive. Federalism is basically a system of organizing that disperses power. So not only do you now have a federal government that has its own internalized dispersed power, but the federal government is also associated with 13 states and with about a million people. So you've got all this disbursement of power, which is to spread that power out as far as you can to where the people have the most power in their local jurisdictions. It seems like it's a very inefficient way to get things done. Intentionally, yes, yes. Because if it's efficient, then exercising power becomes tyranny. And so the, they wanted to make sure that the government didn't get to be efficient. And so they set up all of this system with a separation. So you have your legislative branch, which isn't a branch, it's two branches. They, the people that are representing the citizens are represented by population in the House of Representatives. And they're represented by state legislatures who originally, who was, that was how you would select a senator. It was an appointment by the state legislature with the governor. It wasn't an election by the people. Then you have an executive branch, and the executive branch is elected by the population, but not really. It's an elected by an electoral college, which was another means of a barrier to the consolidation of power in the presidency. The state's is where the Electoral College comes from. The votes for the Electoral College come from the states. So you have an executive branch now. We talked about the legislative branch in two forms, but it's also each one of those houses has particular enumerated powers. The budget powers uh, have to start in the House of Representatives, but they have nothing to do with treaties or foreign policy, which all resides in the Senate. And then the administration and the fulfillment of that comes from the administration or the executive branch. All of this is overseen then by a judicial system that isn't beholding to either branch, where in most countries the judicial system was part of the monarchy. Uh, 
or the king, the rulership, and their jobs, their ability to get paid, their decisions had to be underneath this authority of the king. If you remember the grievances, that was one of the primary grievances, is that the judges were beholding to the king, and they were not fair. They were not um, looking for justice is blind. They were looking for, well, justice is biased. And that was a, that's a big grievance for them. So all of this dysfunction basically is built into this system to ensure that the consolidation of power does not occur in one branch of government or in the federal government overriding the states or in the state government overriding the localities, which would then represent the people at the closest level that they possibly could be at. So it's interesting that narrative talked a little bit about how even with the separation of powers, there was still a pretty big concern about this federal government and the idea of the federal government having this sort of power. Where does liberty and the people's perception of liberty, where does that fit into this and even how the founders um, set up the Constitution? Well, liberty is something of the people, not the government. So it's a personal relationship amongst themselves with their creator. I mean, it's a right from your creator. So self-government required the self-control, like we talked about with the Liberty Star. But people had to understand what liberty was, and they had to, to, to buy into that whole concept, and then had to exhibit it and express that. And their representatives needed to be representing the people's liberty, not their constituency as much as uh, typical representation would have been. Factions. If you're in, in the House of Lords in Great Britain, you are representing a faction, not the people of your district. You're representing a business faction or a, another particular group of elitists and aristocrats faction, but you're not representing the people, whereas liberty demands that the representatives take into account the rights of the people as individuals. So, which sort of leads into the Bill of Rights. Uh, we have the Constitution is ratified. Of course, George Washington is elected then as the first president of the United States. Yes. And, and then they add the Bill of Rights. And it's interesting, you know, you talked about in the narrative there the that they actually did it. They added the first 10 it's amendments. It's a surprise. Yeah. Uh, in today's world, po a politics making a promise and then actually fulfilling the promise. But that seems to flow directly, as we mentioned earlier, directly out of the, the grievances and the Declaration of Independence. Yes. That the people remembered those things oh, and sure. clearly had not forgotten the tyranny they had just come out of. Yes. And so they were gun-shy, for lack of a better term, to enter back into something like that. And so as a result, uh, I, I think it said that it would be better called a bill of government limitation. Yeah, that would be a better title by far, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not that the Bill of Rights is giving rights, but that it's clarifying the rights that were given from the Creator. Well, and it's limiting government to not encroach onto those rights. So First Amendment is a classic. Um, it starts off with, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press." or the right of the people to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. The first few words, Congress shall make no law. 
So this is a limitation on the power of the federal government that ended up being called the Bill of Rights uh, from past uh, documents that had come out of these various states. But they understood it as clearly a limitation of government power, not as a powering or giving of rights to the people from the government. Government has no rights as far as they're concerned, and they just want to make sure that it's completely limited. So Ivan Arevit talked about this idea of the government being a providing force versus a protective force. Yeah. And, and you could say a securing force versus a, a providing force, because that's the term that's used in the Declaration yes. and even here in the preamble. Can you expound a little bit more upon that idea of, of providing force versus protecting force and, and maybe help us understand that a bit more? Well, the crown was the provider for everybody and the determiner of all things, whether that was your job or your wealth, your status, um, basically all of the rights that are now endowed to the citizens of the United States by a creator, they're inherent and non-transferable. Prior to that, then, it was a providing. So the narrative talks about if you're taking money from somebody and giving it to somebody else, that's how the crown becomes a authority and controls these different people. So they're taking from one, which if you're taking the fruits of somebody's labor, they thought of themselves as slaves. If you're giving it to somebody else and there's no other source for them to receive anything, then they become dependents. And guess who is controlling both? The crown is then controlling both. So a providing force is a destructive force. And it's a ruler over all the other things that are going on in the society. A protecting force is fulfilling the Declaration of Independence where you're securing these rights. And so we're protecting, the government is here to protect the rights of the people. And that's uh, essentially in all layers of government. As well, the people need to have self-control or they have to have a virtuous perspective in order for them to make sure that these rights that they're endowed with are not in jeopardy because somebody has to restrain their actions. They have to restrain their own actions through their self-control. And as we described, that means that they have to aspire to be more virtuous. And you can see how those flow out of the two truths that we've talked about were coming into the culture of that time, one being the dignity of mankind, the other being of man's ability to have a personal relationship with God, and how that totally changes it. There's a dignity in, in yeah, the government is there to secure it, but God has given me this right, and man can thrive in that. Yes. And in, in man's ability to pursue uh, these things and, and walk in this liberty. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a difficult thing to achieve, uh, putting a constitution and then following that with a ratification through the states, following that, the election of a president, unanimously elected, by the way, uh, hasn't happened since. But then you have a president and a Congress, both that go through the amendment of the Constitution in order to put these together. And they, those amendments had to be ratified by the states as well. So there was a lot of buy-in to this whole thing. There was a huge argument over the inclusion of the Bill of Rights. And you couldn't have an amendment to the Constitution until the Constitution was put in place and then it had to be implemented. So you had uh, a lot of people saying, we don't need a Bill of Rights. Madison, the original and primary author, said, we don't need a Bill of Rights. 
if if we start to list all of these rights, then we're going to miss something, and somebody's going to you know make sure that we've done the bad job and take advantage of what we missed and this kind of the other. Patrick Henry said, no, 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 we're going to list rights and we're going to not list them as people's rights. We're going to list them as limitations on the government's authority over those rights. So why, why didn't they include these 10 amendments in the original and just have that all included? Why were they added later? Was it just a timing issue of when they were written? Pretty much. They wanted to get the Constitution out. you got to realize they started this constitutional conversation in May or June of 1787. They brought the document in its final form in September. So this isn't the Declaration, which is a year and three months. This is less than six months of work uh, in order to get this together. Part of that was the urgency if we don't get something figured out, we are no longer going to be the United States of America. We're going to be the factional feuding states of America against each other. So when they ratified it with the agreement to add the Bill of Rights, were they written yet at that time or, or just conceptually drafted? Or what stage were those in when they agreed to add them later? Well, they were conceptually drafted. Uh, they're plagiarized from earlier documents, whether that's the uh, Virginia Declaration of Rights or some of the other ideas that permeated out of the uh, Articles Confederation dysfunctional era. So they had these. I think they started with 17 uh, and narrowed that down to 10, um, just because there was some duplication or there was some, we can't agree on that. Um, But the Bill of Rights were going to come in after the fact, and that scared a lot of people. Uh, and they thought, well, this will never happen. You guys are making these promises, and we know what politicians do. You know, They don't fulfill promises. They just make promises. But uh, George Washington single-handedly said, I'm going to make sure this happens. And the trust level for George Washington was really, really there. And because of who he was and the virtue of the examples that he had given, he made sure that this was done. We won't have time in this episode to talk for the whole Constitution or the whole Bill of Rights. However, it is in the show notes, and we would really encourage you to read those. And then while you're reading the Bill of Rights, we encourage you to take out the Declaration of Independence and read the grievances next to the Bill of Rights, and you'll see a tremendous amount of links between the two of those. So Stan, as we're closing up here, uh, in the narrative that we heard earlier, it mentioned this pretty amazing fact, which is that United States of America has had the single longest lasting form of government out of any nation in world history. Yes. Why is it that the United States of America had this system that worked and other nations haven't? Well, and that's the topic of our next uh, episode is we're going to talk about the uh, different forms of government and compare our form of government with those different forms. And I think the answer to your question will be forthcoming in that lesson. Mm -hmm. 